Hello, lovebirds. Either welcome back or welcome for the first time to the Wednesday Weddings and Wine podcast. If you're new here, my name is Crystal Gardenia. I'm the owner and senior wedding planner at Gardenia Weddings, a wedding planning company based in Austin, Texas and Phoenix, Arizona. I use this podcast to provide wedding planning tips and insight, and I do it all while trying a new wine, because after stressing about planning your wedding, it's nice to just sit back and enjoy a glass of wine. So pop your bottles and let's talk weddings. So the wine we're going to be pairing with today's episode in honor of Pride Month is True Color Sparkling Wine by Cava. This wine is really good, but it's really simple. It's a little bit on the dry side. It's really clean. It's almost like a champagne alternative, I would say. What I really love about this is the branding of this specific wine. So True Colors is not one of those wine labels that gets a rainbow slapped on it every June. This bottle is decked out in rainbow hearts every day of the year. It was specifically created in collaboration with the Rainbow Foundation in support of the LGBTQ plus community. So a percentage of the proceeds from all of the purchases of this wine go directly towards supporting those organizations, which is amazing. For today's episode, I want to talk specifically to wedding vendors. I want to talk about how you can make the steps to be more inclusive as a vendor within the wedding industry. I would say the first thing is going to start with your mindset. It can be really frustrating for queer couples to hear vendors and guests, family members, friends say, oh my God, I can't wait to go to a gay wedding. I really want to go to a gay wedding. I really want to work a gay wedding. There's so much fun. They're so loud. They're so bright. There's rainbows everywhere. There's glitter. Like everyone's wearing like floor length dresses and it's just sparkles. And oh my God, it's not like that. The idea of a gay wedding does not exist. You really just have to accept that a gay wedding is just a regular wedding where the marriers so happen to be gay or non-binary or transgender. Whatever the situation is, they are still just regular people having a regular wedding. If they choose to do a rainbow themed wedding or they want to have sparkles and glitter everywhere, that's completely fine, but it's not because they're gay. That's just their aesthetic. The chances are the same as a cishet couple having a glitter at their wedding. So it can be really frustrating for this demographic to be kind of pigeonholed and categorized and have certain expectations set upon them just because it's a quote unquote gay wedding. Also don't label every wedding within the LGBTQ plus community as a gay wedding. Not everyone within that community identifies as gay. The G is only one of the many letters within that demographic. So do not kind of use that as an umbrella term. The first really easy thing that you can do to make sure that you are showcasing inclusivity is notating that and making it very clear on your website and on your social media. So in your Instagram bio, you should have maybe the rainbow flag, uh, rainbow colored hearts, whatever it is, and put... LGBTQ plus inclusive, put love is love, put serving all, you know, whatever it is that is conveying that same message, you know, here in Austin, our saying is y'all means all. And that means that we are inclusive when you put it right next to the rainbow so that everyone understands what that means. The same goes for your website. These couples are oftentimes looking for really blatant inclusivity. They want to see the words we service LGBTQ plus couples. We celebrate love in every form. 
all love is accepted and celebrated here. Something like that. Nowadays, vendors do not really blatantly say like they used to, that they don't do queer weddings, they don't do gay weddings and whatnot, and they just won't take your business because they know they probably get sued. So instead, it's very underhanded and they just make it kind of read between the lines that they are not inclusive. So sometimes couples are kind of guessing. They're kind of shooting in the dark. If they don't see anything on your page saying that you're inclusive, they're kind of taking a gamble. Like, are they supportive? Are they not? And I guess we won't find out until we reach out. So instead of putting them in that situation, make it very clear, very obvious upfront, and that is going to make them want to work with you even more. Something else you can do that's a little bit more work, but it's really, really impactful is educating yourself and getting your business inclusivity certified. So there's a company called Equally Wed that's absolutely amazing, and they provide education for wedding vendors on how to be more inclusive, verbiage to use, definitions, and things like that. Kind of what I'm doing here, but in a more detailed, almost classroom format. So it's all virtual. You take a course, and then there's basically a test at the end. And then if you pass, you get your business certified as an LGBTQ plus inclusive business. Once you have that, you get a badge that you can put on your website, you can put it in your social media bio, and it again just kind of shows that extra effort that you took to be inclusive and to educate yourself. That's also going to make you feel more confident working with these clients and them more confident working with you because you know somewhat of the ins and outs of this demographic, you know the terminology better, and you're going to learn something from this course. Even if you say, oh, I have a, I have a gay cousin. Even if you say that you've done same-sex weddings before or something like that, there is still something that you can learn from this course, believe me. And the demographic, this community is always evolving. And so there's always kind of new terminology and things that are coming and you need to educate yourself and be aware of that so that when your clients are using terms like AFAB, you know, during a conversation with you, you know what that means and it makes you feel more confident and it makes them feel more comfortable. Something else that's really important to focus on is your representation within your portfolio. So even if you're not a photographer, you have a portfolio. If you have a social media account, if you have a website, you have a portfolio. It's really important to make sure that you're showcasing diversity within those photos. If all of your couples look the same, if they are all cishet couples, meaning cisgender, heterosexual couples, if they are all white, you are going to just continue to attract those same couples and you're not going to attract other diverse clients. So if you want to work with a queer couple and be a supportive vendor within that community, you're not going to get that many inquiries from that demographic because when they look at your portfolio, they're not seeing themselves represented and they're therefore assuming that they're not your target audience. You either haven't worked with any LGBTQ plus couples or you don't want to and you don't feel the need to advertise to them. So definitely make sure that you are showcasing those photos and if you've only done one or two of those weddings, recycle those photos, you know, every now and then make sure if someone were to just scroll through your Instagram for, you know, five seconds, they're going to come across at least one photo of a queer wedding. And if you haven't had the opportunity to do a LGBTQ plus wedding yet, and you don't have any photos to showcase within your portfolio, 
you need to do a styled shoot. So styled shoots are kind of like a pretend wedding. It's really just a photo shoot where you can showcase your capabilities and your target demographic. So vendors use this a lot to showcase their abilities. Florists do it a lot to showcase different floral designs that they haven't had the chance to actually showcase with their current clients. Photographers will do it to expand their portfolio. Bakers will do it to show off a cake style they can do that they haven't yet gotten booked to do. There are a ton of different reasons to do it. Build your portfolio if you're a newer business, if you don't have a ton of past weddings to put out there. But this is another great reason to do it. If you are just so happening to get a lot of these same couples over and over again, and you really want to get some more diversity in there, do a styled shoot. Hire models. It's nothing crazy. It's not super expensive. You don't have to get professional models. They can be friends of yours. They can be friends of friends. They could be strangers. You could put something on Instagram asking for models. The only thing is that it needs to be authentic. They do actually need to be a either a queer couple or at least queer identifying within themselves. And then whatever service you offer, you just want to showcase that within the photo as well. So if you're a baker, you can have them do a cake cutting moment. Um, if you are a florist, you know, obviously you're making the bouquets and whatnot. And then if you need to partner with other vendors, that's completely fine. Almost every vendor has done at least one styled shoot. And so it's a really common um, thing to ask a vendor to participate in. And it's completely okay. Not all of them will do it. Some will charge you for their services. If you need a photographer to take the photos, more than likely they're going to charge you for that unless that vendor also needs the exposure. If they also need to do a styled shoot for the same reason to get that target demographic, then it's mutually beneficial. And so they may do it at half cost or completely free. And if you have a lot of vendor friends within your area, you guys can kind of pull together and exchange services. One of you does the flowers, one of you does the cake, one of you does the photography. And between all of you, it ends up costing nothing because you just traded. So there's a ton of different ways you can go about it. Don't be intimidated by it. It's definitely something that you are allowed to do and it's easy to achieve. Once you have these photos, you wanna make sure that they're not only on your social media pages, but they're also on your website itself. If every page on your website, again, has the same demographic of couple over and over again, you are weeding out a lot of those queer clients. So make sure every page has at least one photo within your gallery on your website. You have those photos overall just showing diversity. And this also includes diversity as far as race. Also religion. If all of your ceremony photos are in churches, Every couple who is looking at your portfolio assumes that you only do Christian weddings, that you only do religious weddings. And if that's true for you, that's true for you. Keep that as your branding. But if that's not true for you, people are just judging based off of what they're seeing. And so you need to look at your site and your portfolio from a third person perspective or ask someone else to take a look at it for you and say, what would be your impression of me? What would you assume that I do? And they may say, I would assume you do church weddings. I, was, I would assume you only work with white clients. I would assume you only work with really young clients. I don't see anyone who's middle-aged or anything in your portfolio. So think about that. Always want to showcase some diversity within your portfolio. Something really impactful that you can do that is really, really easy is to audit your verbiage on your website and on any forms that you have. 
So on your website, if you have bride and groom plastered everywhere, you need to take that down. Trust me, the message is still clear that you are a wedding vendor. You can get that message across without using the words bride and groom. I do it and have zero problems with it. And on your contact forms, when clients are reaching out to schedule a consultation or to get a proposal, does your form say bride's name, groom's name? If it does, that needs to come down. It's so easy to just say your name and your fiance's name, your name and your partner's name, and that's it. I even go the extra mile of asking for pronouns on my initial forms as well. It's a really easy change. And so because it's so easy and so simple, when you don't do it, it speaks really loudly to clients. It seems like it is a choice to not make that switch. And you are wanting to make it kind of apparent that queer clients are not your target demographic. Your target demographic is brides and grooms. In addition to that, you want to go through any forms that you send your clients. If you are a DJ and you send them a music selection questionnaire, does it say Bride's Isle Walk and Groom's Isle Walk song? Take that down, not necessary. Just leave in a blank line where they can put in their name. It's as, it's as easy as that. Also, if you need to know, you know who's in the wedding party, don't call it the bridal party. Don't separate it by bridesmaid, groomsmaid. Leave everything really open-ended. That goes for father-daughter dances, mother-son dances. We just call them family dances. You never know someone's situation. They could have two moms. So no, the daughter or the bride doesn't want to dance with their father. They want to dance with their mom. Or their parent could be non-binary. They could have recently passed. And so that is now kind of a triggering question for them. So leave it really open-ended and just say, do you want to do a family dance and who do you want to do it with? And that opens the door where they can really think about it and think, do I want to do it with the sibling? Do I want to do it with my grandparents? Do I want to do it with the chosen family member? So again, leaving it open-ended for them to decide. I will say that I have passed on a lot of vendors, especially DJs, because their forms were so gendered. I did not want to put my client in a situation where potentially they would be misgendered at their wedding. The DJ would slip up and make an announcement because clearly they are not used to working with that demographic. So know that not only are clients looking at that, but the planners are looking at it too. And other vendors who are really inclusive want to work with inclusive vendors. And on that note, to be a true ally and to be truly inclusive as a vendor within the wedding industry, you need to separate yourself from vendors who are not inclusive. I'm sure there is at least one vendor or venue you know of who does not like doing queer weddings and may even turn down queer weddings. You need to distance yourself from that vendor, from that venue. You will absolutely be lumped in with them if you are constantly seen doing events together, if you guys are hanging out outside of the wedding day and whatnot, you are going to be assumed to have the same mindset. And even if you try to separate yourself and say like, oh, we just, they're really funny or they're really good at what they do, but yeah, I don't really, you know, agree with their morals. That's not a good defense. You know, I wouldn't be friends with someone who's homophobic. So I certainly wouldn't work with one. I screen all of my vendors and I screen all of my team members as well, all of our staff. It is one of our hiring questions. How do you feel about same-sex marriage? And there is a wrong answer to that question. So you need to have the same mindset if you are going to be a true ally. 
And if your concern with making these adjustments is that you don't want to turn off any cishet couples, you don't want to turn off any Christian couples or anything like that and lose out on that potential business, I say that I would rather lose out on that. I would rather them never contact me than them end up booking me. And I find out in the middle of the planning process that they're homophobic. It's not worth it to compromise my morals or try and keep my mouth shut and things like that. So it's one thing to not want to have political conversations with people. And that'll be some um, vendor's excuse. So I don't want it to be political and all of that. This is not a political issue. These are humans with human rights who deserve to have love, who deserve to be married and deserve to be happy when their happiness is not hurting a single person. That's how you should look at it. That's how other people should look at it. I think it's very, very simple. And if you don't have that mindset, you really need to kind of have a conversation with yourself. If you want to be a true ally, this is what it entails. It's also worth stating that just because a couple is Christian or cishet does not mean that they're going to be turned off by the fact that you are an inclusive vendor. That might actually be something that's really important to them. We have plenty of clients like that who are very strong allies and they only want to work with inclusive vendors, especially because they know that they're going to have a few guests within that community and they want them to feel comfortable. Or for some people, they really want to make sure that their vendors are aligned with their morals. There are plenty of Christian people who believe in equality for LGBTQ plus couples. There are plenty of cishet people who are allies to the queer community. So you are not ostracizing that group of people at all. At the end of the day, being an inclusive vendor just means making the effort and being a decent human being. All right, now it's time for our listener question. So Rebecca asks, I am a new florist just starting my own business, and I'm wondering how I can go about getting on the planner's recommended vendor list. So this is definitely a question I get a ton. I get asked by a lot of vendors to add them to my vendor list, and I know every planner does. But my biggest advice to you would not be to outright ask planners to put you on their list if you have not actually worked a wedding together. For planners, putting a vendor on our recommended vendor list is a pretty big deal. We have to take a lot of care in it because if a couple books that vendor based solely on our recommendation and that vendor does not do a good job, it's a bad look for the vendor, of course, but it also makes us look bad because that was our recommendation. They trusted us. So we need to know your quality of service. We need to know how you work. We need to know how are you to collaborate with on events. And we're not going to know any of that until we actually complete an event together. We can't just judge based off of your website looking professional, based off of the photos on your portfolio look great. We're not truly going to know what it's like to work with you and the true authentic work you put out until we finish an event together. So until you've finished, I want to say at least three, two to three events with a planner, hold off on outright asking that question. Once you've completed a few events with them, then yes, feel free to ask them and word it in a way that makes it to where it is mutually beneficial. Planners like working with not necessarily the same vendors over and over again, but they like working with vendors who know how they work. 
every planner has a process, every planner has certain guidelines, and it's nice to work with vendors who already know how they work, who know how their timelines are structured, who know their communication rules as far as their clients. You know, do you have to include the planner on every single email? Does the planner even give you the direct contact information for the client or does all communication have to go through the planner? So it's nice to work with vendors who already know how that works. So when you're asking me to put on their list, you can work that into the conversation and say, I'm so happy that we continue to collaborate. You make my life so much easier when I work with your clients. I love how detailed you are, love your timelines, and now I have a really good understanding of your expectations and how you work, and I'd love for us to continue to work together. Do you have a recommended vendor list that I could possibly send you my information to be added onto? That is not a problem at all. Now, if you are newer, which it sounds like, and you maybe haven't worked with planners yet, then I would start taking more organic approaches to just kind of introduce yourself to planners. Don't outright ask them to be put on their list, but make a casual introduction. So follow some planners on social media, be really interactive with their posts, like a lot of their posts, comment on their posts, things like that. Anything that you see them doing that you can kind of insert yourself in casually, not aggressively. For example, if you see a planner who starts a podcast, You can reach out to them and say, hey, I saw you just started a podcast. It looks so great. I'm a local florist who focuses in sustainable florals for weddings. So if you ever want to do a podcast episode centered around that topic, I'd love to be a guest. And that planner may think, oh, that's a great idea for an episode. Yeah, let's collaborate on that. So it's not aggressive. It's an introduction. They're going to chat with you and Planners will book vendors outside of their recommended vendor list. We work with new vendors all the time that we haven't yet collaborated with. So they may still book you, you know, just from that social interaction. You're just not officially on their recommended vendor list yet. But planners, just like couples, book vendors that they like. Book vendors that they get along with, who they have a positive working relationship with. So you need to be easy for the planner to work with. Don't make their job harder. If they tell you that they need to be included in every email to the client, you need to include them on every email to the client. If they send you their timeline and you don't read it and the day of, they're constantly having to tell you when things are happening. They have to send one of their assistants almost to babysit you because you don't know what time you're supposed to be ready and when the next activities are, that's going to be a problem. They probably are not going to book you again. So you need to be respectful of how the planner works because there is a method to the madness. There is reasoning for everything. And of course, having conversations is fine. If you want to get to the venue at an earlier or later time than they have noted on the timeline, you can, of course, bring that up. But don't just, well, I'm just going to show up at a different time. I'm just going to show up an hour early because I want to get there earlier. You may not know that the venue will actually charge the client a fee if any vendor gets there before the designated time. You don't know that, but the planner knows that. So communication is key. Help make the planner's life easier. That's our goal is to make your life easier. So make casual introductions and make sure that you are being a joy for them to work with. Also look into what organizations are really popular in your area. Some networking organizations or events within the wedding industry or the events industry in general, like ILEA or maybe just a local Facebook group. Go to those, go to some mixers and kind of network and chit chat with some of the planners and other vendors who are in your area. 
most of the time, all of these vendor relationships come really naturally. Most of them don't actually form from people just out of nowhere messaging them on Instagram and saying, can you add me to your vendor list? That, that does not really get anyone a strong recommendation. Make it organic and build those relationships. All right, lovebirds, thank you so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to get notified of next week's episode. And if you have a wedding question you'd like me to answer or if you have an idea for an upcoming episode topic, I'd love to hear it. Send it over to us at gardeniawed.com slash podcast. See you next week.